0: church in the area. And at one time in its church history, it was making significant headway into the community. But now, this church is on a decline. Enrollment is going down. People are leaving for other churches or just disappearing. But this church is full of power brokers who controlled and still control how things operate in the church. I don't know if you've ever been in a church like that. I've seen it. Power brokers. People who are in control. And now the church is being faced with a significant theological issue, which the pastor wants to address very, very carefully, because he knows this is a tender spot. How would the church respond? Well, the, the pastor presents his, his paper to the leaders at a meeting. He gathers them all together. He, he shows the biblical and theological issue at hand. And it was clear to him that it was one of the worst meetings that he ever attended. It soon became clear how how divided the church really was. And this began a long, long two-year kind of conflict in the church and eventually it led to a meeting which the pastor calls the shootout at the OK corral and it was filled that meeting was filled with people who were not even on the church rolls anymore but felt that they had a vested interest in this church the pastor lost his vote And people expected him to resign. A lawyer, even from within the church, threatened to sue him. It was a total mess, a train wreck. And it's a true story. This sometimes happens in churches across America and around the world. Friends, the the church is God's idea. It's, it's his baby. It's his thing. And we don't have a choice if we are believers in Christ. We do not have a choice whether or not to be a part of the church. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then God commands and he expects you to commit yourself, like we saw this morning, commit yourself to a local body of believers. That's God's plan, His desire. Jesus Jesus loves the church, and so should we. He loved it so much that what did He do? He gave His life for the church. He bled and He died for our sins, for the church. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. He loves the church lavishly. And we have no right to disparage Christ's love. We must hold the church highly because Jesus holds the church highly. And yet at the same time, we have to acknowledge that the church, being a part of a church, a local body of believers, is hard and messy business. Do I got an amen there? Amen. It is messy. It is hard. It's sloppy at best. And I love the honesty of the Bible. Listen to how he, we, we should relate to each other according to the Bible. And this is from Ephesians chapter 4. I, this is Paul saying, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, and bearing with one another in love. That's how we are to interact as a body of Christ, with gentleness and humility and patience, and ultimately, bearing with one another in love. To bear with means to endure with. To be patient with another. The church is glorious, but sometimes the glory shows up in putting up with each other and paying the cost of a of relationship with people who are hard to love, people with whom that we may find ourselves in conflict with. I know for a fact that all of you do not agree with me in my theological or practical kind of outworkings of things. You don't agree with me and that is fine. But we are called to bear with one another, live with one another, with all humility, patience, and peace, bearing with one another. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. How should we respond to conflict within the church? And it's also going to apply with how do we deal with conflict with one another but specifically it's going to be talking about how do we deal with conflict within the church it's an important topic because ultimately my friends conflict is inevitable if you've been alive long enough to know this you should know you've experienced conflict plenty of times in your life if you hang around here long enough you will face both the glory of the church the beauty of the church the power that goes on here as well as the need to put up with one another so to answer the question of how do we handle conflict i want us to turn to paul who, will, who knew who knew a thing or two really about conflict so my friends we are going to read from second corinthians chapter 1 starting at verse 12 and we are going to read through second corinthians chapter 2 Verse 13. So my friends, would you stand for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, beautiful, and powerful Word as we hear from God Himself. Hear His Word. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity, and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely toward, so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope that you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because of, I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come to you, come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of my heart and with many tears not to cause you pain but to let you know the abundant love that i have for you now if anyone has caused pain he has caused it he has caused it not to me but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you for such a one this punishment by the majority is enough so you should rather Turn to forgive and to comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excess sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For, by, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. This is the word of the Lord. My friends, you may be seated. So today in our second sermon in this series, we kind of get to the, one of the main issues why Paul wrote this letter. He wanted to kind of clear up any kind of misunderstandings that were taking place between him and the church in Corinth. To begin with, Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth was very complicated to say the least. It's like a marriage, complicated to say the least actually started the church before leaving to start other churches. He started off just in love with these people and he, he established the church there in Corinth. But sometime later, as he was down the road, he got news of some problems that were going on in the Corinthian church. That's when he wrote the letter that we know and we have in our Bible known as First Corinthians. And if you read the letter to the church in Corinth, the first letter, it is full of loving confrontation. Paul loved that church so much that he wanted to deal with some of the issues that were causing them problems. So when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he said this, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey, wherever I go. For I do not want to see you uh, now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So, but after, but that that long visit that Paul was anticipating, he was hoping for, never happened. I'm a guy who loves order. If you give me your word, I am planning on that. You change your word, I'm not so sure. And so that's one of the things that happened. And instead, Paul only visited just for a short time, and that short time that they spent together did not go well. In 2 Corinthians uh, 2 verse 1, Paul calls it a painful visit. It was a painful visit apparently things did not go well and paul did not make a good impression on this church that he started instead he faced public criticism from an outspoken member of the congregation the okay corral was taking place paul experienced it and so he left he left that from that visit and he wrote them another letter which we do not have in the bible But we read about it in this passage. 2 verse 4 says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Paul was experiencing. That did not go like I had hoped it would go. So I wrote to you out of my pain because I love you. This letter was sharp, but it seemed to have worked. Some people were still, though, ticked at Paul. The fact that Paul had changed his plan made some of them question his character. Is he a man of His Word? Our God is unchanging. Our God never changes His mind. God's yes is always yes. God's no is always no. But Paul changed his mind maybe he is not a godly man maybe paul should not be trusted maybe maybe paul was just looking out for himself to line his own pockets maybe paul was deceptive a double speaking kind of leader who really lacked character paul wrote this letter in part to deal with the mistrust the distrust that was taking place And now he gives us a template, an idea of how do we respond to conflict. Some of us are, when it comes to conflict, we are fight or flight kind of people. If you are a fight person, raise your hand. Be honest, come on. If you are a flight person, raise your hand. The rest of you, we know what you are. But Paul gives us a benefit by helping us look at how are we called to deal with conflict. There are three steps that we can take when we face conflict within the church. And as I said before, it can even apply to our daily lives. Here's the first one. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Why do we face so much conflict? Well, I, I found this quote for, uh, from a book called Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. That's actually the title of the book. Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. And this is what uh, the author has to say. The vast majority of couples who drift apart do so slowly, over time, in a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. Each partner focuses on focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his or her own preferences, attitudes, and ways of doing things. From our standpoint, therefore, misunderstanding, conflicts, personality differences, and even angry quarrels are not the assassins of love. Self-justification is. Self-justification is the assassin of love. So often in conflict, the problem is that we are blind. We are blind to our own contributions in conflict. Right? Do you experience that? We're blind. Those of you who are fighters, you're going, what are you talking about? Uh Uh-uh. I'm right. And that's why Paul begins by taking an honest look at himself. As, as we're going to see, Paul is not above humbling himself, but he examines his conscience, and that's where he begins. Listen to what he writes in verses 12 through 14. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in this world with sin- simplicity and with godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely, supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope that you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So you can see part of the awkwardness that is going on right here. Paul says, our boast is this. Boasting is generally not a good thing. We... we, We're going to see in 2 Corinthians that Paul is not big into boasting about himself. He's, He's rightly wary about bragging about himself. Every time Paul uses the word in a positive sense, which he does so six times in this letter, he is boasting about something that God has done. He's boasting in God. And we must be careful that we never boast or glorify ourselves, but give all the glory and give all the credit to God. And here's what Paul can boast about that his ministry is characterized by simplicity and godly sincerity. He can boast about that. And what you see is what you get is what Paul is saying it's, it's simple and it's sincere. And this is this is how I function. Paul isn't, I'm not here to play games, Paul is saying. Paul appeals to them and they know him. They know his pattern of behavior. He wants them to understand because you know me. And He appeals to them. And He wants them to understand them. He wants them to embrace His ministry so that He can be proud of them on the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, when Christ returns or they see Him in glory, I can boast in you because of what's going on. So in conflict, the place to always begin is by looking at ourselves. Can you say that we... Or you are acting with simplicity and with godly sincerity? Or are your motives a mixed bag of motives? Is it with simplicity and with a sincere heart towards the other person? Or is it for your good your motives, your kingdom. It always has to begin there. But Paul does something else. And the second thing that we see is that Paul applies the gospel to this situation. At one level, Paul begins to explain himself, and, and people have always misunderstood why he didn't come when they expected. Why he didn't stay longer? Why didn't he stay for the entire winter? And he explains that in verses 23 and following, right? He goes, listen, here, here, here's my reasons why. And the reason that Paul didn't come isn't because he was lacking love for them. That's not the reason. It's not because I, I hate you guys or I don't like you. It's the reason that um, I didn't come was because of my love for you. Paul was trying to find the most tactful way of dealing with with conflict without throwing gasoline on the fire, which would only inflame the tensions more than necessary. The Corinthians couldn't have known that, so Paul is explaining himself. He goes, listen, I know the tension is really intense right now, and if I would have stayed there for the entire winter, this whole thing would have been a blaze of glory. It would have been a total mess. But because of my love for you, I stayed a short period of time. The Corinthians had to understand that. But Paul does something else here that's surprising. He spends most of his time by by talking about the gospel and applying the gospel to that situation. In verses 15 to 22, uh, he explains how God's faithfulness has shaped his ministry. It's an incredible picture how Paul just is kind of unpacking God's faithfulness. He says that, listen, God is always faithful. And the greatest evidence of that is found in Jesus. And all of God's promises, he says, all of God's promises have been kept faithfully by God through Jesus Christ. All of God's covenant promises kind of find their crescendo in Jesus. And more powerfully, look at what God has done through Jesus. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and, has, and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Why why does Paul go there? Well, Ray Ortland, one of my favorite pastors, says this. He talks about the fact that many churches hold to a gospel doctrine. I believe in these truths. I hold firmly to these truths. I'm a solid, conservative, evangelical church, and I am. Holding to these truths. But Ray Ortland says the problem is that many churches that hold gospel doctrine don't have a gospel culture. Does that make sense? A way of living out the implications of the gospel. And here Paul says that the gospel doctrine creates a gospel culture in his ministry, and in the church. And so, since God is faithful, we are called to be faithful. And as the gospel goes deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts, we are called to be shaped more and more and more by who God is and what God has done. So, we are not called just to know about the gospel, but we are called to apply the gospel in conflict if you've ever been in a an argument with a person who is has uh, an amazing memory for all the facts ever been in one of those and they keep on shooting well what about this what about that remember when you how about this what about that and they keep on shooting well you know the rules you know this and you know that You know this. And after a while, it is nothing but you are caught down underneath the pain and the arguments, and you are totally defeated. My friends, in conflict, we are called not only to be caught up in the beauty of gospel doctrine, but we are also called to apply the gospel to every situation. That is why courses like Gospel Fluency are absolutely critical to understand how do, we, how do we apply this now to our lives so that we have a culture of people who are believing and living in light of the gospel. So Paul says, examine yourself. What are your motives, your reasons? And then he says, let's look at how the gospel affects what's going on. But then he takes one more step. And the third step is he reaffirms his love. So in conflict, we are called to examine ourselves, apply the gospel to the the thing at hand, but then in the midst of that, we are also called with sincerity to reaffirm our love for the other person. So far, a critic of Paul could say that Paul is being self-righteous. He's claimed to be working from a clean conscience. And he has justified all of his his arguments so far. Is Paul just thinking of himself? And Paul says no. Listen. 2 verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction. You hear that? Out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. When you get a man who is crying, that is a beautiful thing. He loved that church. Affliction tears not to cause you pain but to to let you know about the what what was it say there abundant love the abundant love that I have for you in verses 5 through 13 he expresses his love in a very practical way that the person who led the rebellion against Paul is now being addressed Paul tells them, forgive him. For such as a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. In other words, you you have been on his case long enough. So that you should rather turn to forgive him. And comfort him. Or he is going to be overwhelmed by excess sorrow. So I beg you to re- Affirm your love for Him. This is church discipline at its best. Look look for ways to love, especially those who have wronged you and have repented. The Apostle Paul reminds me of what Alfred Lord uh, Tennyson said of Archbishop Cranmer. So this goes back to, uh, to England. He says this, to do him a hurt was to beget a kindness to him. His heart was made of such fine soil that if you planted in it the seeds of hate, what happened? They blossomed love in in his first book, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, talking. Uh, describes the camaraderie of a very diverse group of people who all were banded together for a common cause. That fellowship was called what? The Fellowship of the Ring. The Fellowship of the Ring. And their quest was to destroy the power of the dark lord that was lodged in a ring. So they this group, this fellowship of the ring was a very diverse group of people. It it was they differed in nearly every other every way possible, racially, physically. You had giants and you had midgets, you had you had flying kind of fairy people. You had they, it was a really weird group of people. They were even different in their temperament. Some were peacemakers, they were nines, right? If you're an Enneagram person, they were peacemakers. And then there were those who were perfectionists. I think that's, a, that's not a three. I forget what number that is, but some of you should know in here because you're a perfectionist. But ultimately, this diverse group was united in their opposition to the Dark Lord. In a section that was omitted from the movie, a heated conflict breaks out among the crusaders. Axes were drawn. Bows were bent. Harsh words were spoken. It almost destroyed the mission. Disaster nearly strikes that small band of crusaders who are going out in opposition against the Dark Lord. And when, when peace at last prevails, a wise counselor observed this. indeed, In nothing is the power of the dark Lord more clearly shown than in the estrangement that divides all those who still oppose Him. In other words, the dark Lord expresses His ability to divide. And that's where He is most proud. Today, the dark Lord Satan shows his power when there is discord among believers. May it not be true of us, Monsieur de Church, that we experience discord and divisions. May it be true that we are always working on conflict the way that we are supposed to, by evaluating ourselves, looking clearly at our hearts and the, the motivations, the simplicity of our motives and our sincerity of our hearts. May it may be true that we are not only looking at our motives and ourselves, but we are constantly applying the good news of forgiveness and hope and may we always be known. I pray that we are always known by the love that we are expressing towards one another, especially in conflict. Especially in conflict. That is our prayer. My friends, bookmark this sermon. Because we are going to experience conflict as a church. Bookmark this sermon because you are going to experience conflict in your workplace. You are going to experience conflict in your your friendships, your relationships, your marriage with your children, your grandchildren, your great-grands. But God gives us a way of living together in the bond of love. Seeking unity, harmony, and peace. Knowing gospel doctrine, but living in a gospel-rich culture. My friends, this is the word of the Lord given to us for our good and his glory and all God's people said amen let's pray